You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope that this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. Tonight we're going to do um, we're going to take communion, and we've got uh, a special way that we're we're going to do it, and and we'll get there in just a little bit. But I want to share some things leading up to that. And really, what I just want to do is I want to have a conversation with you. It's a one way conversation, but just a conversation with you about what me and the Lord have conversation about concerning His love and the love walk, and. I, if anybody that's, that's heard me preach for more than, you know, 10 times, you've definitely heard me talk about having a book of Acts church or having, you know, having that the same kind of uh, things that were taking place when you read is, I'm going to say it's a twofold key, two key elements. It's twofold in this in my own life and in ministry in the church, all that. And it's two things that go together that I believe made the new, the new Testament church, the early church, that made it be what it was. And those two things that go together are love and unity. And, you know, unity is kind of the idea of being together and it's pursuing that togetherness. But love is what will motivate you and drive you to be unified with somebody. And the reason that I believe that this is so important is because when you look, and if we have time, we'll go there, but the presence of God fell on the day of Pentecost. Now, I, the, the day of Pentecost, when it had fully come, I believe that was the time that the Father had in his mind to send the Holy Spirit or for Jesus to send the Holy Spirit. However, I do believe that he had to work the wonderful works that he would do. And that's why it says, now they were all in one place and they were in one accord. And that. It went beyond, they got to the point to where they were willing to, and many of them died together. It was, I remember that story. It's a terrible story, but it's a true, it's a true story. And they, a lot, of, a lot of New Testament, you know, grace people, which I consider myself that because the gospel is grace, uh, will say that, you know, it wasn't God that did it, but I have a hard time believing that they just both coincidentally fell over and breathed their last as the way that it was put. So here's how I look at it, that you had Ananias and Sapphira, that they, had, they were involved, quote, involved with this high-level, high-covenant-minded group of people, so much so that they didn't even have possess, possessions that they weren't willing to give up for other people. You can read that in Acts chapter 2 around verse 40-something that um, they had all things in common and they would sell their possessions and, and give and bring it at the apostles' feet that they could do whatever. Read him out and his wife didn't even know what happened because, you know, she came in and then they asked her the question. She got a sad story and that happened. This is my opinion. You can get your own opinion about it. And what they did was so egregious, not just to the Holy Spirit, they removed themselves from that protection that God had around those people, and it just killed them. I mean, I have a hard time saying God against the corporate 
unified anointing that was there to, to walk together and to live together in love. Now, with all that being said, I'm not going to ask you all to go sell your property and bring all your money here for me to, to divide it out. It's a different time. That was a different situation. As a matter of fact, I heard one guy way smarter than me. He said that the reason that they did what that was because, and I don't know if this is true. You can go and find this out, but it sounded pretty good to me that there was a reason why they did it beyond just like, like, hey, we're in such unity. But it was that uh, they were getting ready to have things taken from them from the government, and they went and went ahead and sold it so that they could use the land money to do something beneficial. And that seems reasonable. You can go do your research and find out. But the point is, is that they were willing to do it. There was something in them that says, I'm willing to do it. And I can tell you that, you know, unity is like a, it's like a vision. It's like a goal to where you have people come together and they're so gelled and meshed together so well. But the only way that they get to that place is to where they have love in their heart. And that gut comes first from encountering love, which of course we know, we know love is God. And so, you know, just on this, on this uh, journey of doing this, the Lord is really, really, like I practice what I preach. I don't practice it perfectly, but I believe what I'm telling you right now with everything in me to the point that whatever I've even thought that I wronged somebody in some way that could have brought some form of disunity. And I'm sure that there's been people that got mad at me and I didn't even realize it and I can't help that. But if, if anything is even, if, if I even get a whiff of I might have offended somebody, I usually will try to address them on not being offended because that's an issue too. But I will go to them and I will do anything I can to fix that thing that got out of, out of order, out of line. Whatever, if their heart is like this at all, I want to do everything I can to reach down and help them where they're at. Even if they were wrong, I would rather come and apologize. Now, I don't believe in apologizing if you're not wrong, but some people say that they'll apologize even if they're wrong just for the sake of the other person. But I think basically you should do anything you possibly can. Stay true, but do anything you possibly can to reach that person. And the only way that, that people would subject themselves to this kind of humility is if they have a vision grandeur of what God wants to do. I, when I read the Bible, I, I, I have this um, fortunate, unfortunate deal to where I just believe what it says. And it's fortunate because that's the way you're supposed to read the Bible. You just believe what it says and it's not unfortunate at all, but if it is unfortunate, it's just that a lot of people don't believe that the same way. And so when I see that we're supposed to like, pursue love and pursue people and really begin to see people how God sees them, I can't make other people do that. I can only make me do that and then pray that other people will do the same thing. But I have a vision in my heart of unity that goes so beyond what we've seen in the modern day church because I believe that that unity and that love, it is the key to seeing the miraculous, to seeing um, innumerable number of people get saved because if you go back and look, it says that they were all, um, you know, they had all things in common and then it says that there, there were those being saved and they were being added to the church daily. Daily they were being added to the church. And why is that? Why would people want to come in 
just because of that. And it's, be, it's because the world doesn't understand love and it doesn't understand unity. And it's looking for somebody to be a true, proper representation of it. And if we can't do it, if we won't do it, there's not anybody else that's going to do it. And so really it is Christ in us, the hope for the rest of the world to seeing the glory of God. And as a matter of fact, Jesus said that they, speaking of the world, will know that you, speaking of us, are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. I mean, come on, we could camp there all night long. That's a pretty incredible thing. And you, this isn't something you can fake. You know how when you see a married couple, and if you've been married long enough, you could see a married couple, and you could just kind of tell that they don't particularly, they're not real lovey-dovey, they don't really necessarily like each other. And then you see a couple that it's like, <laughs> you know, they just, they are really, really affectionate towards each other. And you can tell, and and if you get more keen, you can, you can pick up and, and kind of, you can see some things that, you know, people, even if they tried to put on a front, they can't fake it. Because even though they look like they might be nice to each other, you can tell they're fighting like cats and dogs at home. You, you pastor and you learn how to pick up on these things. It's like, yep, yep, you fight a lot at home, you know, and then you can minister into that or whatever. So, uh, but the, it's the same way with the world. And what they've, what they've seen is they've seen a church that has preached love They've preached, the church has preached for God so loved the world, but then they watch all of the division that has taken place. I mean, I, I could see a show of hands in here, and I don't want to because I think it's, it would be terrible just to see it, but probably nearly every person in here has been involved in, in church circles that the division was so heavy that it, it caused a split. And sometimes if you're involved with people and there's not leadership there that says, nope, we don't allow that, then that stuff just goes on. And that's why you have to have strong leadership that will, like, I've told people this before. I probably told you this before. You know, you could come and tell me the worst sin that you've ever done. And I'd be like, oh, brother, sister, come on, let's pray. Let's get that covered under the blood. And man, we'll get you forgiven and healed up and moving forward. But as soon as you want to come and you want to come against one of God's children, I'm going to knock your block off. Spiritually in love, I'll do it, amen. But... <laughs> It's just like, it's just like this thing in me that we have to protect the environment and we have to protect the people because I, when I read Acts, I want what's in Acts and at no expense. I'll do whatever it takes. I'm not going to knock anybody's block off, by the way, or I just, that's how I feel on the inside because it's like we have to, if we say we know God and we say we know love, and we say we've been changed by his love, it had better show forth if we're really going to have the essence and the attributes and the benefits of the love of God in our midst. Anybody can fight and argue and whatever, and before you know it, there's a division. Any fool can do that, but it takes somebody who's, who fears God and who genuinely sees people through the eyes of God genuinely sees people through the eyes of God, they're the only ones that are able to really keep unity. It says in Amos, it says, how can any two walk together unless they be agreed? That's not talking about that you agree on things doctrinally. 
I have, in Perryville, I have uh, two minister friends over there that I meet with. I try to meet with them once a month. One of them is a Methodist and believes so many things different than, and, than what I do. And the other one's a Presbyterian, and he really believes things different than I do. Did you know that we get together, and we, we pray together about once a month, and we only pray for about 10, 10 we actually go, we go around the circle, and we each pray for about 30 seconds to a minute, and that is our prayer time. Because when you're around people that don't talk in tongues, I mean, you can pray for the whole world in just a couple minutes, you know? But it's like, you know, anyways, so, and, and you know, we love each other. We really genuinely love each other and have a trust for each other. I'm not saying I'd want them to come and preach in my pulpit necessarily. I don't think that it carried the same heart and message that I have. But I, I actually really trust them and, and care for them. You know why? Because I have shown them and they have shown me that we can look past our differences and we value unity more than we do the things that we don't agree on. The church is majored on what we don't agree on instead of majoring on what we do agree on. And I'm not saying, look, everybody's, there's different strokes for different folks. You can't be sitting underneath of somebody that you just adamantly disagree with what they're saying. I get that. But there's always going to be disagreements. There's always going to be things that we don't see how other people see. That is the nature of human beings. You get any two people in a room together, give them just a few minutes, and they're going to find something that they disagree on. I mean, you have a conversation. I mean, I could, how many of you have had a conversation with somebody in the last, I don't know, week where they said something where you were thinking, I don't agree with that at all. Let me just see a show of hands. Hey, look, nearly every person in here. The only reason you still have a relationship with them is because you've, you've got something in you that says, I can look past that. But the problem is, is when their disagreement becomes just too much for us to handle, then that's where we back off, we cut ties, whatever. And we have to be really careful that we make sure that our capacity to love gets extended. Come on, somebody. Our capacity to love people has to go to another level. If it doesn't, we'll never be the church that God's called us to be. At the core of everything that we should be about is a people that know how to love God, how to receive God's love, but then how to, in return, give love to other people. The very nature of love, the very nature of love is giving somebody your best even though they don't deserve it. You know that there's this whole thing about the chicken or the egg? I've often thought that about, about grace and love, and I got it figured out. Love came first. Everything comes from love. Grace comes from love. Faith comes from love. Joy comes from love. Look at the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all that. All of the nine. Love's first. You know why? Because all of them stem from love. If we just walk in love, all, everything else will just work out. Because if you're not in joy, it's because you're not in the love of God. If you're not in peace, it's because you're not in the love of God. The Holy Spirit has this amazing ability to remind us of things. You know, it says that he will, he will teach us all things whatsoever. Jesus said, he'll teach you all things whatsoever I've taught you. And so he has this ability to bring up and teach you something. And on the way over here, I told Liz, I said, man, I just remembered something. So one who I have called my, my spiritual father, especially in the, my pastorate years, the very first time I ever, I ever introduced him, Bobby Ray, um, 
the very first time I ever, and that's his first and last name. It's how he's from North Carolina. The first time I met him, I was like, you know, they're all, everybody's like Bobby Ray and Jenny Jew, not Jenny Jew. Oh my gosh, Jenny Joe, Jenny Jew. Well, she could be. I don't know. But anyways, you know how the. Anyways, whatever is Bobby Ray first last name. Anyways, that's all. That is none of that matters. I was doing so good. Um, <laughs> I introduced him and I said this. I said, if you have a problem. And, the, and, and this is just like, be, before I introduced him, I just had this on my heart as in the service. I said, you know, if you have a problem, really the only thing you need is the love of God and it will fix anything. And from the back, he goes, amen. I thought, well, we've got a guest speaker here and I didn't really know him that well, but he, he likes love. Well, for the next several years, like 10 years, he taught me more about love than what I had any idea any other human being knew about love. And most of what actually he taught me, I caught. He did teach me things, but I caught it because when someone is so filled with love, you, you just can't fake that. I mean, this is, a, this is a guy that he had somebody, and I've probably shared this here before. I know I've been in Perryville. This is a guy that he had, he had somebody come into his church, and, and I, don't, I still to this day don't, don't get it, but he had this guy come into his church for a pretty good period of time, it was weeks or maybe even months, and he would show up and he would say, Pastor Bobby, I'm going to kill you. Now, if it were me, I'd be like, security, get this guy. <laughs> Ushers, get this guy. Ron, cast the demon out of him, you know? <laughs> That's what I would do. But he, he just looked at him and said, no, no, you're not going to do that. And then the guy would go away, and this went on. And maybe he just went right in the head. I don't, I don't know all the details. But this happened for, for a while, and then the guy came to him and he said, Pastor Bobby, he'd call him pastor. He's like, Pastor Bobby, he said, I need you to forgive me. And he said, for what for, you know? And he said, because I've been telling you I'm going to kill you, you know? I mean, <laughs> the epitome of this conversation is amazing. And, uh, and Pastor Bobby, he said, I can't, I can't do that. And the guy just, what? You preach grace and you preach love and forgiveness. And he said, whoa, 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 hang on a second. He said, I already forgave you a long time ago. It's already washed. It's water under the bridge. It's washed in the blood. It's no problem, brother. See, he was already set free from that guy's nonsense before that guy got set free from his nonsense. And because he was set free, eventually that guy got set free. You know what that is? That's being able to look at people how God sees them and not how you're seeing them in the natural at the moment. That takes, that takes faith. It takes uh, intentionality. You know, Bill Johnson, I was, uh, I think I was jogging, walking something. Sometimes it's in, in between the jog walk. Did that today. Uh, but I was on one of those, and I, had, I was listening to him. And I know I've shared this before, but it fits so well here. He said, the opposite of love is not hate. And it had really had me tuned in because I've always basically considered the opposite of love to be, to be hate or maybe fear. Both of those could be, to me, opposites of, of love. He said the opposite of love is complacency. And he said the way the Lord showed him this is that, of course, he's, you know, very renowned minister and is in all kinds of different circles. And he said he kept finding himself on platforms with people that he didn't have anything against them. He didn't hate them. He didn't have anything against them. But he, he didn't really pursue them because they were so different than he was that it just was easier to not really pursue them. 
And the Lord corrected him. He said, you've become complacent towards people and you need to change that. So now what he does when he's around those people, he'll stop and he'll begin to think about them the way that God sees them. And he'll say, Lord, give me your affection for those people because you paid the price for them just like you did for me. God, I, w- I want to love them like you do. And the next thing you know, the love of God begins to flow through him towards those people, whether they even know it or not. It's something that he's, that he's done. And when I was listening to him tell this, it, I don't get wrecked. Like, I'm not, a, I'm not a crier or whatever. Man, I had tears running down my face. I was like, God, this is awesome. I want to, I want to be this way. And I'm, I can't say I'm a Bill's level, but I'm a lot further along than what I used to be. And here's some things that the Lord has given me that have, have really helped me in this area. Because, see, when the Lord speaks something towards you about his love, It's true about his nature. It's true about his love. They're synonymous because God is love, which means that love is God. And when he speaks that to you, the reasonable thing, the the logical thing is to be able to look at somebody else. If you really understand grace, you can look at somebody else and really understand love and say, I should think that way towards other people as well. Because the truth is, is that we were all sinners before Christ. There is no like, like different levels of who's deserving. None of us were deserving, and that's why we had to have the grace of God. So when he thinks that way towards us, we should in turn be able to turn and say, I believe that about brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. You know, I came to a point, and it took me a little bit, I'll just be honest, that the people who wrong, wrongly uh, fired me years ago, uh, it was the craziest thing. And I got to a point to where I think I started with, with pity. And then I think I had some anger in there because it was like, who are they to touch God's anointed? And it's like, okay, well, whatever. Uh, and then I realized how broken they were. I mean, you, you have to have some, dad was there. Uh, you were working concrete. Otherwise you would have been there. You know, you would have, he would have been off his job, but he just thought it was a normal meeting and it was it wasn't a normal meeting. I called the meeting to put him on the board, and then the guy that I thought wasn't on the board showed up, and they, they went gangster on me and fired me right there. But anyways, he was crazy. I had a locksmith and everything, and the whole church left, left with me. Man, that was, that was a moment I was like, I'm nothing in Christ Jesus, but I feel pretty good. <laughs> you know, they showed up. We had a special meeting on a Tuesday night or Wednesday or whatever it was, and everybody showed up with their pitchforks and their torches. And they were like, come on, pastor, let's get them. I was like, guys, everything in me was like, yeah. But I was like, we're going to walk in love. God's going to get this thing figured out. And you know what? We came out of that thing without even the smell of smoke on us. The next service we had, we even had a worship leader at that time that was causing me so much problems. He was getting ready to go. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. You're out of here. Yeah. And he, we, he did his last worship service. And the power of God fell. Remember that? Remember that light bulb that fell from the ceiling? You don't remember that? You weren't saved then, were you? No, I was uh, you, were, you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, we, all of a sudden is light. We're in this place in the senior center, and a, a light bulb just falls from the ceiling, and people didn't even know it, and these people showed up during the worship, and we, that, we don't even know how they got there. And afterwards, they said, well, we have a word for you. We don't even know how they got there because the whole church, as far as everyone knew, was shut down and got moved to the senior center, 
and they said, there was a glass ceiling on this church before, but it's been broken. And I was like, well, there's, a, there's glass right there on the floor. Proof in Jesus' name. It was awesome. Anyways, but I, I had to come to this place to where I, I got to where I just gave them over to the Lord. And I, I think, you know, pity is when you feel bad. Compassion is when you're moved to do something about it. And if I could get inside their heart and brain and fix them, I would. I tried, and that didn't work out so well, you know. But I've got this place of compassion where I've stopped before, and I said, Lord, I just pray blessing over their business. Father, I pray that their kids are protected. Lord, I pray that their marriages are strong. We even had a, you even had a word of knowledge about one of them that you feared for his life. I began to pray over his life that his life would be spared. And he, it was an Ananias and Sapphira kind of thing. And I thought, man, these people have really not done well. And uh, so anyways, it's coming to this place to where you see people like God sees them. I'm going to tell you something. That takes intentionality. It takes not being complacent because it's easy to be like, oh, okay. And even at this point, I could be like, oh, you know, whatever. Occasionally, we'll see them around town. One of them was right next door to the church in Perryville for until like a year and a half ago. And we would see her and see her car. If we'd seen her, she would scurry along the way and we wouldn't look at us or whatever. But we would just pray blessing over her and her business and whatever, you know. And uh, you just have to come to that place to where you can be like that with people. And you know what? That's how God is with people. It says, let this mind, this is Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. It says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. And what was that mind? It was the mind to have people that were against you, but you laid down your life for them anyways. And there is no greater love that anybody can have than to lay down their life. Jesus showed the greatest amount of love for the people that did him wrong. Imagine having, having, imagine this, having 12 people that traveled with you for three years. They saw the miracles you did. They saw how you poured out constantly how you loved them, how you cared for them, how you taught and taught with authority, how you, you did all of the things that you did. He did it perfectly because Jesus was perfect. And then to have some of those same pe people, and it says at the Last Supper, get this. You know, people oftentimes are like, get out of here, devil. Do you know that the devil was at the Last Supper? Because when they were sitting there, it says that uh, Satan had already entered Judas. And I, I, I will say this. I've been a little hard on the chosen lately because I think it's got some weird doctrine in it. But I will say this. The guy that they picked for Judas, doesn't he have the most precious baby face you've ever seen? They're, yeah, they're setting us up to fall in love with the guy and then he's going to betray Jesus. It's playing on the, the emotions of what really, really takes place. Imagine Jesus being with these people, pouring out his life, sent from heaven, to do something for humans that they despised him for, and the people that called you friend and Lord and Savior and Master and all of these things end up turning you in for money. And Judas was the one that betrayed him, but they all had issues believing in him. All of them did. And it says that at the Last Supper... Even after Satan had already entered in to Judas, that he girded himself up with a towel of righteousness is what it was, and he went and he washed their feet. 
I mean, the way that we handle problems when someone's problematic usually, and I'm not saying that there's not a place for like, you know, you're causing trouble, hit the road, Jack. Uh, <laughs> anyways, um, there could be a place for that, but Jesus didn't even do that with the one that was, that was ultimately going to betray him. He washed his feet. And it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation coming in the form of man and coming all the way to the point of death. Incredible. Get a vision for unity and then get a revelation of love and it will drive you to do anything necessary to love people. It will strip the complacency out of you. When you even think that there's ought, you'll pick up the phone and say, brother, sister, I think something, and they might be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Be like, great, see you tomorrow, or whatever, you know. But they'd be like, yeah, I, that kind of hurt me. Hey, listen, I would never want to do anything to hurt you. I would never want to do it. You're one of God's precious chosen people. You develop a heart like that. Listen here in 2 Corinthians 5. Let me read a couple verses. I'm going to give you a few things, and then we're going to take communion together. 2 Corinthians 5, and let's go to, uh, let's go to verse 16, 2 Corinthians 5 and 16. Look at this. It says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him, thus no longer, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone was in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But the first part of that, verse 16, it says, therefore, we regard or we know no one according to the flesh anymore. This means that when somebody gets born again, we don't look at them as being unborn again people, even if they act like it. Anybody acted uh, not like a child of God at some point since you've been born again? Anybody acted maybe even a little bit like a heathen? <laughs> yeah, every one of us. Aren't you glad that God didn't see us different than who we truly were just because we acted wrongly? That's what love does. And when we're in relationship, we're in covenant with people, we have to look at people, and we don't have to excuse their nonsense, but we have to be willing to look at them and say, I don't care what you did. I love you. I'm passionate about you, just like God is passionate about you. That's what love does. Let me tell you some things that the Lord spoke to me, and then we'll close and we'll take communion together. It says this. It says, and then this is what he spoke, and this is what I put in, I put in my journal. God wrought his people in the lowest parts of the earth, which is talking about the womb. And I shared this, I think, a couple weeks ago or last week, that the word wrought means to elaborately embellish. So the next time you have somebody that you feel like you have an ax to grind with, remember that they were already wrought in their mother's womb by God. He elaborately embellished them. That'll make you think twice about touching God's anointed. Touching God's anointed isn't the guy with a, with a pinstripe suit and leather patent shoes, sweating with the brow, screaming at everybody. That's not God's anointed. Well, it could be, but that's not the only type of God's anointed. God's anointed are you, children of God. You are God's anointed. Nobody should touch you, but you shouldn't touch anybody else either. Not in a way of being offensive and unwilling to walk in love. Listen else what God told me. I'm just going to read these all fast. Love never puts itself first. 
And this is what God told me. I said, Lord, show me your love. Every day, Lord, show me your love. He said, I never, or love never, puts itself first. Sometimes you got to give up your right to be right. Who cares if you are right? What about that other person's destiny? Man, what about their heart? What about their, their growing in Christ? What about, their, what about their relationship with the Lord? What about all of the things that could be thrown in there? Who cares if you're right? When it comes down to it, who cares if you're right? Uh, here's another one. God's love covers me. You know that love covers? It covers a multitude of sin. And you know what? When people sin against you, you know what you should do? Cover them. Now, if you're being abused, you deal with that. But when people have faults and mistakes and issues and whatever, stuff like that, you cover them. You know, this is a heavy revy. But I'm going to tell you something. It was almost, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't just philosophy because I got it from the word years ago. I got it from the word. And I started seeing, we have to pursue this. And there is, every, every church is unique. Every person is unique. And this campus has things about it that Perryville doesn't have. And Perryville has things about it that this campus doesn't have. There's different flavors here, and God designed it that way. But you know that one thing is consistent everywhere that should be consistent is the way that we walk in love with one another. And we sh- I'm going to tell you something, and I think this is part of what stirred me to really begin to minister this, is that this morning we, sh- we showed up, and if anybody didn't watch, if you did watch the live, this will be a repeat, but I had two drunk people walk into my office this morning because not literally drunk, but... They had just, the, during the, the team was just practicing and the presence of God just, I, did, I was totally unaware. I was in my office actually doing a little bit of warfare, to be honest with you. Anyways. <laughs> and they came in and they're like, oh, God's just, uh, I don't even, uh. it sounded like drunk people. I was like, awesome. I said, I'm not feeling anything. Two more drunk people walked into my room, into my office. And one of them was Katie. And Katie said, you know, on the day of Pentecost, Peter had to be sober enough to help tell the people what was going on. And I said, that's me. I'm the designated driver, you know. (laughs) So, but I realized what happened is that for a while, we have been adamant. You see those, everybody look over there. You see those core values on the wall over there? Love, faith, excellence, unity, honor, hospitality. Not necessarily in any particular order other than love definitely is supposed to be at the top. Those aren't just something we put on the wall because they're a good idea. I genuinely believe those with everything in me. It's part of what drives. It is what drives culture. And so I have a value in me that everybody should should encounter the love of God and everybody should endeavor to love people just like God has loved them. Undeservedly, God has loved you. Undeservedly, you should love other people. Your feelings are, are irrelevant. But that was my job. Doesn't matter. But I I was the children's church leader doesn't matter. But I really, it doesn't matter. Your feelings are irrelevant. 
Is that too, is that too hard? Like, I think we just need to hear this. This isn't a way to listen to me. This, right, I'm telling you right here. See, sometimes people will look and they'll be like, well, pastor, if we were up, this church was really going somewhere to be more people here. I mean, I've had people, I'm like, chill. Take a chill pill, man. This, what I'm telling you, won't cause the church to go like this, but it will cause the church to go like this. Depth, strength, foundation, core, the stuff. That when people come in that are really hungry, they'll say, I want a part of that. My life is an utter, total wreck, distress, disaster, and I need what you're dishing out. And that's why we do what we do. That's why we're steadfast. It's worth the fight. Walking in love is a fight. You have to fight to not fight. And it says in Ephesians chapter 4, and in verse 1 it says, I beseech you, I don't think that's what it says. Can we pull that up there real quick? I always start it wrong. There we go. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, oh yeah, it does, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing. You know what that word bearing means? It It literally means to put up with. Why would you put up with somebody? Why? There's nothing stopping you from going out those doors and never coming back here. Other than God says, I've called you there. Those are your people. That's your tribe. Now get your tail back in there and walk in love. And you know what? Part of what you have to do is you have to bear with people. I've had to bear with her for a lot of years. I mean, she's had to bear with me for a lot of years. Sit that backwards. But literally, even in a marriage, you know, sometimes you got to put up with one another. It's probably like her putting up with me 10 to 1, you know, but hey, now. Security. <laughs> I got a prophecy recently. Somebody said, you're going to start to love when you're preaching and love what you're preaching. And I can tell you now, it's settled in. Hallelujah. <laughs> so, the lowliness and gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another. Here's the part I want to get to real quickly. Next verse. Look at what it says. Quick, quick, quick. I don't mean you quick, but let's read quick. It says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. The word endeavor, it means work. When I marry, when I marry people, I don't preach. I just read because if I didn't, I would preach. And so I, one of the things that I say is I say that, that marriage is a life's work. It seems amazing until like halfway through the honeymoon, it's like, your breath stinks this morning. You know what I mean? It's like reality sets in. You got two flesh people that love each other, but there's problems. But you keep going through the problems and dealing with the problems because you value the union. You value the covenant and you value unity enough that you will grab hold of love and you will give them what they don't deserve. Because that's what love does. And notice it says endeavoring to keep. You know why it says to keep? Because if you want to read it, it says we've got one faith, one Lord, one baptism. And it's saying that we were all brought in the same way. We already have a unity. You know why I can fellowship around with my, my uh, uh, Presbyterian and 
and Methodist pastor friends, it ain't because they pray in tongues. Although one of them said, he's so kind, he said, Kent, if, if you feel that you need to pray in tongues when we're praying, you can do that. I was like, I was, it was funny, but I felt so honored that he would say that to me. And I was thinking, bro, you don't want me to pray in tongues. I can tell you that. <laughs> so, but anyways, we don't, we don't come together because we love how we pray or we love the doctrine that we believe. We come together because we've been brought in through faith, although one of them's heavy predestination, and so I don't know how that works with faith too well. But anyways, he believes in God. So we've been brought in through faith. <laughs> and we camp there. We pastor. We love people. We believe the gospel. We know Perryville needs the gospel. So we just stay right there and communicate and love one another. This is why John said, God, Jesus, I hate this is why I'm shooting the clock. He's <laughs> actually hang on. That's how I really feel. Ja, the Apostle John, you can read this in his writings. He was always like, let's love each other, let's love each other, let's love each other. And there are some extracurricular writings where he it says that he would go. And they would be like, John, please tell us what it was like when Jesus walked on the water. Tell us what it was like when he fed the 5,000 and the 4,000, which really meant like 20,000, and, and how all the food multiplied. Tell us what it was like when you saw the blind man's eyes open and you saw the, the woman at the well and got ministered. Tell us those things, John. And you know what John would say? He would say, little children, can't we just love each other? You know why? Because the spirit of flesh, which isn't really a spirit, but flesh just entered in to the church and people were at each, at, at each other's throats and they had lost the essence of what communion with the Lord and each other was really all about. Let me finish my list and then we're going to take communion. Here we go. God's love covers me. It covers people. I love you even though I saw you. This is what God spoke to me. I said, Lord, show me your love, whatever day it was. He said, Kent, I loved you even though I saw you. Have you ever saw somebody that you were like, I mean, on the inside, maybe you didn't physically do that, but you were like, I don't think I like that person too much. Come on now. And someone walked past me the other day and they smelled like an ashtray. And I was like, Ugh. And I was like, Kent, would Jesus respond like that? I don't have anything against smokers, but it's a strong smell. <laughs> I love you even though I saw you. Can you love people unconditionally even though you saw them and their stuff and their weakness and their junk? The Lord said love allows enough room, has, has allowed enough room for you to grow into maturity and into your calling. God for loving me enough through all of my stuff and I still have more stuff but you loved me anyways hmm. I've got more but I'm going to say this several more I'm going to say this one last one last one this is what he told me one morning I said Lord tell me about your love he said my love has consequences 
wrong actions have consequences, right? We can all bear witness to that. Love has consequences to it. When the love of, of God has been shed abroad on our heart, been poured out by the Holy Spirit, consequentially we go, oh, Jesus, that's amazing. When you love people, especially when they don't deserve it, something flips in them. They may not even know what it is, but they're like, I like you. I, I like you. They may not even have language for it, but they're like, yeah, I like that. And if you do that long enough, what you'll end up doing is you'll end up pioneering love. To pioneer something means that you go into a barren, this is a literal Merriam-Webster dictionary definition. To pioneer means you go into a barren wasteland where there is no ecological system. Jesus. And when something gets planted there that has the ability to build an ecological system, everything else, that desert wasteland, before you know it, might take a few years in the natural, but it becomes an oasis. It draws things to it. Well, if we'll pioneer love, we can be in a total barren wasteland of a relationship, whatever, and if we'll pioneer love, it will cause everything else to get straightened out around us. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, we're out of time, so we're going to do this. We're going to do communion um, in a special way. We've done this once before here, but I want to do it again, and we'll do it quickly and efficiently, and then we'll move on. Here's what I want to say. In Mark chapter 14, I'm not even going to turn there. Mark chapter 14, it says that Jesus had took the bread and he took the wine. He said, he said, um, do this in remembrance of me. Take eat, this is my body. Take eat, this is my blood. And it says that it was the blood of the new covenant which was shed, listen to this, for many. And it says in Matthew's account that it was shed for the remission of sins. See, there's forgiveness of sins, but then there's remission of sins, which are very close. They're like, they're like sisters. And for someone's sins to be remitted, it means the effects of the sin have been dealt with, not just the sin itself. And you know what? There are effects of other people's sin in your life. And if you can take the blood of Jesus and realize that it was shed for the remission of everybody's sin, you can walk in freedom. Whether they do or not, you can walk in freedom. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit overcomerschurchinternational.com.